We are in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1 uh, is where we're going to be. And uh, we are going to be walking through this Gospel. And as we do, we will pick up the next week where we leave off and uh, love this incredible gift of the Gospel of John. So in John chapter 1, and we're going to walk through verses 6 through 13. And as you're, as you're heading there, kind of the theme, at least of this morning, is life's greatest decision. And so researchers say, if, if, if researchers, uh, I'm not sure where they pull this data or how they figure this out, but researchers say that the average individual will make 35,000 decisions in a single day, 35 decisions in a single day. Uh, if I did some math and let's just say you're 80 years old and let's, uh, say that, uh, you have made as many decisions as the average person would over that course of time, you would have made somewhere in the neighborhood of 1 billion, 19 million, 200,000 choices. Like that's a lot of decisions, isn't it? Like, like, and, and I know we all agree, like what kind of cereal you're going to buy or, or what house you're going to buy. Like those are way different decisions, but, but different, okay, different weights to those decisions. But, but today, this morning, I want to talk through what is life's greatest decision. This is more important than any other decision in the world. And this text is going to guide us as to what that is. And the main idea of the text this morning is that a person's greatest decision is their response to Jesus. Now this goes for everybody. Like nobody's outside of this life's greatest decision. This applies to every single person. The greatest decision is your response to Jesus. The apostle John, he makes it super clear what his goal in writing this gospel account is. He tells us towards the end of his gospel in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says this, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And what we're talking about life is we're not talking about a heartbeat life. We're talking about eternal life, everlasting life. And it only comes by believing in Jesus and that Jesus is the son of God. And so in John's gospel, those first five verses, we were there last week, but he just walks us through who Jesus is. He introduces us to Jesus. And he says in those first five verses, and I'm summarizing, he's saying, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And so this is who Jesus is. And he also shares why he came. So the whole reason Jesus came was, the Bible says, to give life and to give light. That's why he came. He came because we live, and, and I know all of us can, can, can like testify to this, we live in a spiritually darkened world. We live in a spiritually darkened world. And so he came to give light to that spiritually dark world. He also came to give life. Why? Because we live in a spiritually dead world. In other words, anyone who is living apart from a relationship with Jesus is spiritually dead, not in a relationship with Jesus. And so, but he came to give life. And so this is why he came. And so Jesus is God. He came to bring life and he came to bring light. And then John's going to kind of show us now. So we all have a response to that. 
Every single person has a response to that. And so he's going to introduce us to these couple of responses. But first, he's going to introduce us to another John. So it's not the Apostle John. He's going to introduce us to John the baptizer. It's interesting in John's gospel, he never really refers to himself. And so when we see John, we know he's talking about another John. But the Bible says this in John chapter 1, verse 6. The Bible says that there was a man sent from God whose name was John and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So God sent John, John the Baptist, John the baptizer and centuries before in the Old Testament, the prophet of Isaiah, God told us through the prophet Isaiah that this John was going to come that there was going to be a forerunner. He says in Isaiah 40, verse three, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. And after Isaiah, other prophets came and other prophets went. The last old Testament prophet was Malachi. And then there was 400 years of silence, 400 years of silence until a voice, until a voice came. And that voice was the voice of John the Baptist. Matthew's gospel gives us a little bit more light into John the Baptist. In Matthew 3, 3, the Bible says that in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. And so here's John the Baptist. I love this brother. I mean, he had to have been a wild man. <laughs> he, I mean, literally his outfit is camel hair and he's walking around camel hair, leather belt, eating wild locusts, eating honey and his whole mission in life. I love this. His whole mission in life was to prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way, and then get out of the way. And he was completely content in embracing God's mission for his life. That he didn't have to be the, the star of the show. Matter of fact, both Isaiah and Matthew 3 say he was simply a voice. And so what a testimony of this brother. Camel hair, leather belt, wild locust eating, honey eating guy, all pointing to Jesus, his whole life pointing to Jesus. And yet that was where his contentment came was in the fulfillment of the mission God created him for. And he was, he was content with being a voice. I love that. I love that. Simply a voice. Are we okay, brothers and sisters, if all we were known for was simply that we were a voice? pointing to Jesus. I love that. Just last week, uh, we had an opportunity. We had a, a, one of our pathway classes. So every other month during our Sunday school hour, we have either a love God pathway class, a live sent pathway class, a love people pathway class. The whole purpose is just to provide a space to help people become everything God made them to be. We had a great time in our live sent pathway class last week. And really we talked about special calling. So for John the Baptist, that special calling was to be the voice, prepare the way and get out of the way. But yet for us, think about this. Every believer, every believer has been gifted with at least one spiritual gift. The scriptures teach us. 
All of us have unique abilities. This is a skill set that God gave you. He doesn't want to waste that. That not even that, but he's given you passions. And I want you to think about this. What, what is there an age group that you're particular passionate about? Is there a cause that you would love to see eradicated? And you think about that. Don't ignore that. And you think about the personality God's given you. Every single one of us are unique. Every single one of us are different. And so God uses your personality, your gifting, your passion, your ability to for like this special calling and making a kingdom impact. And the idea is that we're missing out if we're not if we're not tuned into what God wants to do through our lives. And so this was John the Baptist. He embraced that calling God had on his life. In verse seven, the Bible says that he, John the baptizer, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That the whole world would believe that Jesus is God and he came to bring light and life through him. That's a little H. In my Bible, that's a little H. So through him, it's not talking about through Jesus, but through him, through John the baptizer's life. This was his desire. His life was to be, think about it like this, like a, like a, like a conduit, right? A conduit doesn't have power, but it's what's in the conduit that has power. Like a conduit, a channel that God wants to work in and through you, that, that God wants to proclaim his truth and his love and his grace and the gospel through your life. And John was content with being a channel, a channel wrapped up, all wrapped up in Jesus. And here's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. Matthew eleven eleven. Here's what Jesus said. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus Christ tells us that John the baptizer in his camel hair and eating his locusts and eating his honey. This brother whose life was all wrapped up in the mission of God. Jesus says that this brother was the greatest of all time. He was the goat, if you will. That word goat, I asked Amber, my wife, last night. I was like, do you know what goat means? She's like, greatest of all time. I was, I was like, you go. She said she looked it up on the internet one time because she, she wasn't sure. But in sports world, you hear that term goat a lot. If you're a football fan, you might have watched the game on Monday night. You may have seen Nick Saban, who has seven rings, who is considered the greatest coach of all time. If you're an NFL fan, if you see Tom Brady suit up in the playoffs a little later in this day, he is known as the greatest quarterback of all time. He has seven rings, seven rings. What makes them great? Success. What makes them great? Their skill. What makes them great? The fact that they have rings. What makes them great is that they have all kinds of accolades and records. And yet what does God say is great? He completely flips it on its head. And he says this, if you want to go up, you go down. The way up is the way down. Over in Mark's gospel, he says this, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then Jesus says this statement of himself that blows me away every time I read it. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, it's been said, and I believe it, you're never more like Jesus than when you're serving others. And what does the goat say? John the Baptist over in John 3.30, he says this, he must increase, I must decrease. This is what the greatest of all time, the greatest brother of all time said. 
He must increase, I must decrease. Verse eight, he was not the light and he knew it. And he was completely good with that. John the baptizer was not the light, verse eight, but came to bear witness about the light. In other words, the faithful reflect the light. John's, John's, uh, John's mission was that when people see him, they don't see him. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's almost like his life is like a mirror reflecting Christ. It's like, hey, when you see me, I don't want you to see me. I want you to see Jesus. You live your life in such a way that when people see you, they give you praise or they give you accolade, whatever that might be. They don't see you reflect that to God. The only one who's worthy. It's this idea that all of us as, as the body of Christ are, are literally, as, as my buddy Jonathan Howard would say, living mirrors. That this is, this is what we do. We reflect the light, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions. So much so, Romans 8 tells us our ultimate will is that we are conformed to the image of God's Son. That's God's desire. They don't see you, they see Jesus by His grace, right? In verse 9, the Bible says that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I love it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light. So if Jesus is the true light, that means that he is the only one who can forgive sin. He's the only one that can ultimately satisfy a soul. He's the only one who has the power to give you peace with God. He's the only one that has the ability to give you life. I love what Shane Pruitt said. He said, there will always be something missing from our life as long as there is someone missing from our life. And that someone is Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. So he says, I'm the true light. That means he is the real light. He's the genuine light. And because he's the true light, that also means that guess what? There are false lights. And I think of them as like glow sticks. Who doesn't love glow sticks. Kiddos, do you love glow sticks? How fun are those, right? What do you do? You go and you buy them, right? Because you can, you can, you can pay for them and you can use them anytime you want to. And you open the wrapper and you snap that joker. And what happens? Help me up. It lights up and it lights good and it lights strong for a little while, right? And then the glow fades away. And the world is full of glow sticks. All these things that seem to give light, all these things that seem to give light, all these things that seem to satisfy, but they don't. All kinds of false lights. One would be the false light of a career. Okay, I'm gonna spend my entire life building and pouring into this thing that I'm calling my career. And then at the end of the day, tell me ultimately what lasting, everlasting satisfaction comes from that. It's important to build a career, important to work hard, important to do your best. But yet, that ultimately doesn't satisfy. You think about a title. I'm going to go and get this degree. I'm going to go and get this certification. And that's, those are good things. I want you to hear me out. Those are good things. And we should strive to be the very best. But as potentially you're making your way up that ladder... And you're maybe wanting to make your way up to that kind of top position. As someone said, I, I can't exactly how it's articulated, but be careful what, what building your ladder is leaning against. 
Because if you spend all your life pouring into finding satisfaction in a title only to realize it is purely and only earthly good. Like if that's all, if that's what you're looking for, for your complete satisfaction, it's a glow stick. For some, it's a sinful pleasure. For some, it's a sport. I love sports. Love playing everything. I'm horrible at everything, but I love playing all of it. But it is a lousy God. If it's a dollar amount, it won't satisfy. If it's an object, it won't truly satisfy. If it's a relationship, it won't truly satisfy. Just a couple weeks ago, we were down in Central Florida for for Christmas and hanging out with family. And I met a young man. He was in his mid-20s. And he was sharing with me how ultimately his life up to that point in his 20s, you could kind of describe as him just chasing after relationship after relationship. And he, he, he shared with me how ultimately he, he, he was just like, it's just not what he had hoped it would be. Like this finds that magic relationship. And, and I just told him in love, I said, man, I said, if you're looking for a relationship to satisfy you, ultimately, it never will. Those are good things, but it's not the best thing. Only life is found in Jesus. And so what does Hebrews say? Hebrews 1.3, he, Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And this light has come for all people, all humanity. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19 says. Paul says over in Romans 1, this light has come to everyone, that general revelation of who God is. He says this for, in Romans 1, 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. God has revealed himself. To all people. This light has come for all people. And this light, John says, is coming into the world. So be like, well, I thought Jesus was, he had had come. Well, remember where we are in the story. John the Baptist, John the baptizer, prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way, get out of the way. At the baptism of Jesus, this is almost like the fireworks that signal the start of Jesus's earthly ministry. And so he will be baptizing him. And at that point, the earthly ministry begins. And so this is what, this is what he's saying about John the Baptist, the the Baptist. He's a witness. He's pointing to the light and that light was coming into the world. The earthly ministry was about to begin. In verse 10, the Bible says about Christ, he was in the world and the world was made through him. I want to pause just for a moment. So we read about it in the first five verses of John and we see the heavens declare the glory of God and we see that he has manifest his glory and his divine power to all people. And so I want us to just be reminded that all things the Bible says are created by God and for God, that he is the agent of creation. All of scripture teaches that Christ is the agent of creation. And so again, in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him. He made it all. And yet the world did not know him that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So the faithful reflect the light, but the world will reject the light. We, we see it. Then we see it now. This true light has come, but his creation, his, his own creation rejected him. The Jewish people 
for centuries had long awaited, anxiously awaited the coming of the Messiah, the one that is going to rescue them, the one that's going to save them, the one that's going to deliver them from Roman rule. And it's, it's said that in the environment when Christ came in his incarnation, that the expectation was at a fever pitch. Like they're all anxiously awaiting. And yet the tragic part is his own people rejected him. His own people rejected. Uh, he had kicked off his earthly ministry over in Luke 4. Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And he goes into the synagogue. And listen to what happened in his hometown in his home synagogue, the Bible says in Luke 4, 17 through 20, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, we just read from Isaiah just a little bit ago. I love the prophet Isaiah. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Lord Jesus reads about the prophesied Messiah that will come. Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah and he looks to those in the synagogue in his hometown. And he says, today you are, you are witnessing the fulfillment. I am the Messiah. And you know what they did? They completely lost their minds. They lost their minds so much. So they physically tried to lay their hands on Jesus and throw him off of a cliff. That's how mad they were. Completely rejected him. And then if you follow the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, if you're familiar with the kind of the flow of church history, Acts chapter two teaches us about the day of Pentecost. Peter's preaching. He's in Jerusalem. All Jews from all over had gathered in that city. And listen to what Peter says in Acts two, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. Rejected him. They were the ones shouting crucify. The Bible describes the, those, those who are refusing to listen, refusing to to, to turn to Christ as stiff necked Just this idea, you ever get a crick in your neck and you're like, you're like, you're not moving. You're like doing this right here. That's the description. This refusal to turn to Christ, this refusal to acknowledge Jesus. And I think we would all agree, not a lot has changed in our day that today, much of the world continues to reject Jesus. And why is that? And here's at least one reason. John, we're going to, as we cruise through John, we're going to get to John chapter three in the future. But I want to bring a little bit of John three to us. John three verses 19 through 20. Here's what the Bible says. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. This is Jesus. He's the true light. Remember, he's the only true light. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest 
His work should be exposed, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen what his works have been and carried out in God. In other words, I don't like the light because the light exposes. Jesus is the true light. Over Christmas, we had our family, my, my sister and my brother-in-law and my two nephews over at our house. And we have a trampoline in our backyard. And we have like four lights in our backyard on our patio and kind of facing the trampoline, but right now none of them work. Okay. Uh, I need to get that fixed and they've been out for a while. So this is another reminder that I need to do that. Uh, so no lights, but my kids and my nephews were on that trampoline and they were having the absolute time of their life out there. I mean, just going nuts. And so we're inside. Why? Because it's winter. That's what people do when it's winter. You stay inside, right? You don't jump on the trampoline outside. You, you, you stay inside where it's warm. And, and at some point in the night, I don't remember when it was, but, uh, but one of my kiddos was jumping on the trampoline. And I just remember like looking towards the, the door uh, that goes, goes outside and, and she ran in and she ran in, she opened the door and she just took like a step and she was just like, Oh, Oh, you're like, I can't see. I can't see. And, and, and I don't think that it was just but a nanosecond. And she was like, I'm going back outside. And she runs back outside where, why it's dark. Your eyes adjust to the dark and they're going to keep having the time of their life. And I think in a figurative way, much of the world enjoys jumping in the dark and maybe enjoying chasing after these glow sticks that seem to give light for a little bit and then they fade away and just content. Why? Because when you're exposed to the true light and when you're exposed to the holiness of God and his perfection and his beauty and his glory, when you see him for who he is, guess what? We see ourselves for who we are. And we see that we are sinful people, even on our very best day, even on our very best hour, we all fall short of the glory of God. And we all know that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Any, any uh, conversation I've ever had with an individual that ever comes to the, to the point of the conversation of understanding sin, we all do. We all understand that we have sinned against the glory of God. And so even... Even his own people rejected him. But I wrap up here today with a turn. And that's in verse 12. But the world rejects the light, but to all who did receive him. This is the good news. This is the praise that not all in the world will reject. There will be those who receive, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Listen to that. He gave the right to be adopted into the family of God. Who in verse 13, who were born not of the will of the, of, not, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is why we preach the gospel. This is why every time we gather on a Sunday morning, that there will be an opportunity to share about the amazing salvation gift that is offered through the true light, Jesus. That only through him can there be life and life to the full. Why? Because there will be those who do receive. There will be those who do believe. This is why we faithfully share 
And I wonder that maybe there's even somebody today in the room this morning, somebody who's listening in online this morning, that as we talk about who Jesus is and that Jesus is God, and we talk about why he came, he came to give light and he came to give life, that we all have an answer to that most important decision. And that is our, our, our response to who Jesus is. The world reflects the light, but those who believe receive the light. And that's what we see. And we're not talking about a physical birth, not a physical birth. It talks about those who are born of God. We're talking about, we're talking about spiritual birth. We're talking about being reborn. All of us have a physical birth date, right? It's on our birth certificate. It's the day we were physically born. But as believers, when we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus, we have a spiritual birthday. We're born again. Again, in John three, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Maybe you're familiar with the passage and Jesus tells Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And he's like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> you mean I climb up in my mom's womb and I'm born all over again? No, we're talking about a spiritual rebirth. We're talking about being born again, being adopted into the family of God. And there's all kinds of falsehoods about how that takes place. And so John is helping us understand what salvation is not. And he says, first of all, that it is not of blood. In other words, there was a strong conviction among the Jewish people that you would be saved simply if you have Jewish blood running through your veins. So in other words, as long as you are associated with Jews and you have Jewish blood and maybe a Jewish mama and daddy, then guess what? You're good. You're saved. But John is saying, no, it's not a blood. In our context today, that might be Kind of similar to saying, well, my, my mother was a godly saint of a woman. My daddy was a deacon at the church that I grew up. We went to church all the time when I was a kid. We literally did like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, like every single time the doors, we were there, but that doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you born, reborn any more than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger when you step into the room. Like, no, there has to be a time and a place. It's not of blood. It's not a blood thing. It's not a blood thing. He also says it's not the will of the flesh. And that speaks to sincerity. And it grieves my heart. Even as preparing, my heart was grieved. Why? Because I, I know that there are multitudes of sincere people who are in hell right now, that they were sincerely wrong. They sincerely placed their belief, their weight and their trust in a glow stick instead of the true light. And, and, and so John is helping us understand, listen, it's not because you got Jewish blood in your veins. And it's not because you have a really godly mother. And it's not because you are sincere. And he also says it's not the will of man. In other words, there are some people in the house today listening in who are great planners. You have administrative gifts that are off the charts and we salute you. <laughs> You're awesome. Like you can put a plan together. You can give steps one through two and like it all be awesome, right? We can plan vacations. We can plan on going to the store. But listen, salvation is a work of God. We don't sit out and kind of map it all out and say, here's how it's going to happen. Here's how, like, no, like it's a work of God. As the gospel is shared, as Jesus is lifted up, he draws hearts to himself. And then we all, as we've talked about, we have a response to that. And if you are apart from Jesus, if you are spiritually dead, that you would respond to God's grace 
and confess your sin and repent and trust in Jesus. And so John is challenging us that all of us have a response. And he who is receptive receives the light. Faithful reflect the light. The world rejects the light, but the receptive believe the light. It means to take a hold of, to grasp, to put your whole weight and trust. And what happens? You are adopted into the family of God. Just last week, after, after one of our services, one of our church members came up and we were just talking. They were sharing a little bit about their adoption story and how God used that to just, it was the greatest blessing they had ever received. This past week, I was getting my hair cut at Sport Clips. And, and I don't even know how the conversation landed there, but the, the hairdresser, as we're talking back and forth, discovered that she was adopted. And she, she told me about her adoption story. She said, it's the greatest gift that I've ever received. The fact that I was adopted into a loving and caring family. That that is the picture of adoption. That's what Jesus says to all those who receive, who do believe. You, become the, you have the right to become children of God. You are adopted to the family. Adopted children don't have to worry where they're going to lay their head at night because they know they have a home. As believers, we know we have a home in him. You don't have to worry about your needs being met. Many of you know we're, we're in the process of adopting a little baby boy right now. He's about to turn six months old, which is crazy to me. But little Judah Ridge isn't sitting there. And he's like, all right, mom, dad, chop it on. Like, where's that bottle at? He doesn't even know he needs a bottle. But we're there to give him what we know he needs. This is what our heavenly father does. He, we don't have to be anxious isn't that a good word? Like in the world that we're in, like, isn't it awesome that we don't have to be anxious because we have a relationship with the Prince of Peace? He's the Lord of all. He's sovereign. And so praise God for that gift of being adopted in the family to those who do believe and do receive. And I, I want to share one quick story. And that is of a dad adopting his daughter from China. And he wrote this. He said, I think within a nanosecond of deciding to adopt, we knew what our daughter's name would be. In fact, I don't really ever recall discussing it that much. Perhaps it's because of why we chose to adopt. Our driving motivation was to rescue a little girl and to give her a family with a hope for the future. The helpless little girl who lives on the other side of the earth will receive all the benefits of being my child. I will clothe her and feed her. She will take on my name and receive my deepest affection. She will be the object of my love. My energies will be directed towards helping, instructing, and training her to be happy with the secure knowledge that I will never leave her. I will pour out my heart to introduce her to the Savior of the world who, came, who, can, who can take away all her sins and give her eternal security. Of course, all of this is done as we completely depend on God and his strength. Where would we be without the love of God? Where would we be without revealing him, revealing himself to us in the scripture? Where would we be without him divinely sacrificing his own son and seeking us out to rescue us? So for us and for what this adoption is a reflection of, we only had one name to choose from. And that name was grace. Isn't that a good word? Grace, because how are we saved? By grace. Ephesians 2, verse 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. 
by his grace, we're adopted into his family. And we move from creation of God to a child of God. So today, believer, you're here and you can look back to that time and place where you began a relationship with Jesus. You repented of your sin and you surrendered to King Jesus as the Lord of your life. To the believers in the room, I would say this. The challenge is this, that we would reflect the light. People see us, they see the Lord. And a great place to start would be this with the Lord in your quiet time is that you get, you get, you get alone with God and you get his word and, and you, you have some time in prayer and that we would ask this question, what in me needs to decrease so that you may increase? It's going to look different for every person. The Holy Spirit uniquely works in our hearts and he'll reveal that as we are humble and surrender to him. He'll show us what needs to decrease so that he can increase. The sad reality of our world is that the world will continue to reject. will continue to reject this light. But by God's grace, we continue to be a channel of his love and his grace and his truth. Because those who do receive have life and life to the full. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're listening in and you know what? You're like, I don't have that life that, that you're talking about, that God's talking about. Not what I'm talking about, that's what he says. He came to give light and life. And if you are here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you would describe yourself, maybe not in this terms, maybe it sounds a little abrasive, but you would say this, I am spiritually dead. In other words, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. If you would like to have a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you right now, just admit your need for him, repent of your sin and trust in the finished work of Jesus to be your Lord. And then adopted into the family and then be a reflection for all to see his love and grace and to know that eternal life, here's the thing about eternal life. A lot of us think it starts when we die. Eternal life starts the moment you're saved. Why? Because from that moment on, you have a personal relationship with Jesus that will last this life and into eternity. Eternal life starts now. So let's pray together. We're going right, to, typically we would have another song, right? But uh, here's what we're going to do. And it's fine. I, I, I like, I, I just, I just want to say this. I love the sound of kids. Can I just say that? So, so like, it's like being at home. All right. So it's all good. Like it's all good. But I want us to have just a little bit of a prayer time. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to give a little space, a little space for you just to have some time of prayer with the Lord. And then I'm going to say amen. Pastor Jake's going to share a quick few announcements and then we'll, we'll head out of here. But love you so much. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And uh, just as, as a believer who has been adopted into your family, who has been a receiver of that light and life, I just want to praise you. And God, I pray we never get over it. That we would embrace John the baptizer's model for life. Wrap your life up in Jesus and let your mission be about pointing people to you. That things decrease, we decrease, you increase. God, help us to reflect your light. God, I pray, Lord, uh, for those who kind of in a figurative way are, are, are in the dark. And that God, as your true light exposes the dark, it can be uncomfortable. That there are things in our life that we know don't bring glory to you. 
that we realize that we are sinners in need of a savior. But God, your word is true. Your light has come for all people, for all people, every single person. And so God, that I pray that if there's someone here today that wants to begin that adoptive relationship with you, that they would acknowledge that you are God, that in your life, death, burial, and resurrection, that you accomplished all that was necessary for us to have our sin forgiven and our debt to be paid and to have peace with you and to have a relationship. But that comes through repentance. That's a turning, a changing of mind about ourselves and about our sin. And so God, I do pray that today, if there's anybody here that needs to be saved, that they would repent of their sin and surrender their lives to you as Lord because to those who receive, have life. God, we love you and we thank you for this word. And even now, just want to take just a few moments and give time for us to have personal time with you. Let's have that, those few moments now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you again for the life and the light that is in you. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Just so you know, after service, uh, Pastor Jake, Brother Bill will actually be down here. Like if there's anything we can pray specifically for you about, we'd love to do that. And, uh, and also just, if you happen to be a guest, maybe it's the first time you've ever been here right through those double doors to the left. We have an area called guest central. We have a gift that we would love to give you for being our guest today. So pastor Jake's going to come and he may already be here. He's right here. And uh, so if y'all want to stand with me and, uh, and kiddos can stretch those legs, right? You guys did awesome today. And, uh, he's going to wrap us up. Thanks buddy.